You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You, you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Packernet After Dark. We got another day of answering your calls. If you'd like to participate, 608-501-0718 is the phone number to call. It would be great if you can get involved in that. New callers go to the front of the line. We do not have any new callers today. So why don't we just go ahead and get started with none other and Mr. Thomas Austin. Hey, Ryan. It's Thomas. Hey. Um, a thought popped in my head, and now I'm going to tell you about it. That's how this works. Crazy chain of events how that works. Um, what team in modern day, the 32 teams that are playing today, what team would have the best chance of winning in, let's say, like the 80s? Or early 90s, where it was a little bit harder hitting. Offenses were still working the pass, and like superstar wide receivers were superstar wide receivers. And then on the flip side, which this would probably take a little bit of time to look up, but I feel like if you just go with general vibes and memory, I feel like you could pull up a team. What team from back then? And you can pick whatever year, you can pick whatever team, I don't care, would have the best chance of success in today's football. What team was maybe ahead of their time, but just couldn't get the pieces right from back when? All right, bye. Well, I, I, I guess I don't really know. There would be a class of people, and, and maybe it's most people I don't know, um, that would just kind of assume that today's teams in general, pick the worst team in football right now, would stomp the living daylights of any 80s team. If that was the case, then you would just take whatever team is the best and put them in the 80s. Let's just call it the Chiefs. The Chiefs would absolutely obliterate whatever they're doing in the 80s because we've evolved. Not only have the players gotten better and faster and stronger, but we've evolved as, you know, our understanding of, how to beat this, that, or the other. And so that style of football wouldn't necessarily do very well up against what we're doing today. Um, however, 
I do remember uh, reading a book on football, the only one I think I ever really have, and I didn't really finish it because it's just way over my head. But um, what they had talked about is that it's not really a matter of any particular style of football being better than the other. In other words, it's not as though NFL is just continually evolving and getting better and better and better. It's just kind of, and, and you know, even Rogers talked about how it's cyclical. Um, we had chosen a path to go down, and then when you go down that, when, when an offense chooses to go this way, the defense adjusts and does this, and then the offense adjusts and does that. And so there's a good chance that you could go up against an 80s team that they would have a decent enough chance of beating the daylights out of whatever we have today because we're just not prepared for it. We're not built that way anymore. And they're not built to stop us either, whatever. But, you know, the 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 crux of it was we could still be running wing T today. In fact, they they do in certain places and it's still successful. It's just a matter of of personnel and everything else. I mean, it would be hard to do that today because they don't run it much in high school. And so colleges would be hard pressed to be able to get people to run that. And NFL teams would be hard pressed to run it because they don't teach it and prepare kids for it in college. So anyways, um, so the, the, the right answer, depending on how you view that, would either be the Chiefs or what I think you're really asking is what team today is most like an 80s team, which in my mind just means what team likes to run the ball and smash you in the mouth. And the one that comes immediately to mind would be Baltimore. Um, Big physical football team that likes to run the ball. Um, Chicago makes sense, but their team sucks. Philadelphia might even be the best answer because it's a good combination of the two. Philadelphia is a really good team this year. So you can just plug and play them because they're a good team. But also they kind of fit the style of what they did in the 80s, being a bigger physical run-the-ball type of team. They're second in the NFL behind Chicago in rushing attempts. And then what team from the 80s would win now? I mean, I would just pick the 49ers from what year? I don't know, 81 maybe when they were uh, 15-1. Or 84, they were 15-1. 81, they were 13-3. 87, they were 13-2. Take your pick, but it would be the 49ers. Hey, Ryan, this is Andy from Kansas. Hey. Uh, I've got a terrible thought here for you. Okay, um, great. Sorry for that intro. <laughs> what if the Darius Smith knew better than the rest of the Packers' defense last year? And that's why he didn't really didn't come back to play for a long time, even though it seems every week he said, oh, I'm going to be back, I'm going to be back. Maybe he didn't come back because he didn't believe in this defense. You know way earlier than the rest of the team or the defense didn't believe in, in Joe Barry. Uh, I hate to think of it that way. If that's maybe even a possibility because we're used to, you know, disgruntled ex Packers going to the Vikings far of Longwell Jennings and just kind of fizzing out. But uh, not to say that uh, the Vikings defense is any better. Technically the Vikings defense gives them more points than the Packers does uh, considering uh how much, you know, how good of a record that they have. If you haven't noticed, if you've seen that, they actually have a negative um, points for, points against difference there. But just wondering if that could have been an issue last year that you already saw that this defense was not managed well. I don't know if that's actually true, but anyway, just a thought. Uh, I'll call back with some Christmas stuff. Bye. I, I really don't think so. Um... 
I mean, first of all, like you said, the, the Vikings are a pretty terrible defense right now, and he's not sitting out. Um, he did come back in the playoffs, so if he was disgruntled, it would be weird to kind of come back later. I, I, I just think he was hurt. Um, I, I think the biggest argument against it um, would be the fact that it cost him a massive, massive amount of money. Um, he's not making hardly anything this year. And uh, if he had played and been able to dominate and get a bunch of sacks, he could have got a pretty massive payday. But instead, he sat out injured all year and got paid pennies to go play for the Vikings, who are also a bad team. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't. And, and even if, you know, even if he saw into the future and saw they were going to be a bad football team, I don't know why that would warrant him sitting out. I mean, there there is the element of, you know, like you said, being disgruntled and just not wanting to play for the team, which is kind of a separate potentially separate potential issue um, that he just wasn't feeling it with the Green Bay. And I think that I think we know that that's true. But the question is, would it ultimately lead to him uh, deciding he's just not playing anymore? And again, I just I don't think so. I think he was hurt all year and came back when he was able Hey Ryan, it's Craig. Hey, uh, we've been talking. You know, we've been talking on a podcast a lot about uh, Leonard and, and possibly coming as defensive coordinator. Yeah, and it started me thinking about college coaches and their success rate coming into the NFL. Now, now I know he would be coming in as a coordinator, mm-hmm. uh, but I started thinking more about head coaches, right? And just kind of started looking at the last 20 years of very successful college coaches or pretty good college coaches who, who seem to not do very well in the pros. Um, and so my list has back in 2002, Steve Spurrier. Uh, we got, uh, 2007, Bobby Petrino, Lane Kiffin in 2008. Oh, I forgot about Nick Saban in 2005 with Miami. Um, we have Chip Kelly in 2013 going to Philly and then to San Francisco and not doing too great at either of those. Urban Meyer, obviously, burning out at Jacksonville. Matt Rule just getting let go this year with Carolina. You got Cliff Kingsbury sitting there in Arizona, not exactly lighting the world on fire. Um, And I think the only two that I found in the last 20 years, and maybe you could check me on this, that have had some success was Jim Harbaugh, who uh, ended up um, leaving as well, going back to college. Um, and then obviously Pete Carroll, but Pete Carroll started in the pros and then went back to college and then back to pros. So um, I just wonder what your thoughts are. Uh, why do you think that doesn't translate when they get to the pros? I tend to think they just don't get the respect of the locker room because they were coaching at, at, a, at a lower level, if you will. And I'm not sure if they ever went over the locker rooms. Um so would be interested in your thoughts around why that might be an issue. And also, if that's true of a head coach not winning over the locker room, is there a risk of that even with a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator jumping from the college ranks and taking a lateral move into the pros? Can they really win over the locker room um, with with kind of that experience? Um, anyway, just something maybe to chat about. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I mean – I think there's a pretty good track record of head coaches that don't really make it. I, I don't really know much about people that jump from college into coordinator positions. Um, it would take a while to try to compile some data. Um, the only thing I could 
think to do. I mean, in terms of why it doesn't trade, I mean, there's a there's a million different reasons. I mean, college is just different than the pros for a lot of reasons. I mean, just the 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 players and how you acquire players, and you know, the the new players coming in and players leaving all the time. Um, you know, the 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 teams you face and the and the vast array of schemes that you're going to see, and yeah, I mean, how you treat guys in the locker room and how you deal with you know, eighteen year olds. Well, now they're eighteen year olds that are millionaires potentially, depending on these NIL deals or whatever. But it's just it's just a different environment. And and not only that, just the 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 staff. I mean, it's just uh the way they run things, the schedule, the the whatever. You know, what what's expected of you as a coordinator in college compared to a coordinator in the NFL and working with the head coach and I, you know, I, I, there, there's a million different reasons why it could be. It's just, but I just see it generally as another barrier. I mean, what are the odds that when you hire a defensive coordinator, he's going to be good? 30%? You add in all the additional challenges of a guy that's never coached in the pros, never worked with pro players, um, isn't familiar necessarily with NFL scheme. Even if they're, they're running somewhat like Jim Leonard runs an NFL-ish scheme, plus he played in the NFL and has some, right, but it's still different in college and, and what he's had to do and how he's had to adapt and all these different things and how he game plans. It's just different. And, and it's just an additional barrier. But looking at the coordinators, I, the only thing I could think to do is look at the top defenses and see if any of those guys came from college. Um, and that is to say from college straight to defensive coordinator. And I, I, first of all, I don't remember really ever seeing that. Usually you come from college as a position coach and then you take a position coach I mean even or, or you're a defensive coordinator and you jump to the NFL but you downgrade to a position coach um so like Detroit right now or Detroit uh San Francisco right now is the number one defense which I find fascinating I didn't even know that D'Amico Ryans is their uh defensive coordinator he was a player and then kind of got in with San Francisco and just shot up the shot up the ranks he, he didn't go through the college stuff Buffalo number two with Leslie Frazier I mean, he's been in the NFL forever, but he started in in college, but he was a DB coach at the University of Illinois, and then he went to Philadelphia as a DB coach. He didn't just jump straight in as a defensive coordinator. Uh, Dan Quinn in Dallas, which is kind of a funny thing that they're third over there because that was kind of a joke. You know, they they hired this sort of old school guy in in Mike McCarthy that's knows about how to do things the old way, but not the new way. And it's going to be a disaster and they're doing a great job. And then Dan Quinn, same thing. You know, yeah, he was a great coordinator back in the day, but, you know, times have changed. Well, number three defense in the entire NFL, but uh, he was a college guy, defensive coordinator at Hofstra before he jumped to the NFL, but he went to defensive quality control. Then he went to defensive line, uh, then a different defensive line coach, then another team defensive line coach. He was a defensive line coach for nearly a decade. He didn't become a defensive coordinator until he went back to Florida and then jumped back into the NFL as a defensive coordinator. So technically he did go from um, college to the pros, but he was always a pro guy. That was just sort of a stepping stone. He wanted that defensive coordinator job. He couldn't quite get it. He's been jumping around. He finally got the option of doing it at Florida, spent two years there, and then the NFL was like, all right, fine, we'll give you a shot. Jiro Evero, um, He's been an NFL guy pretty much his entire career. He was actually in Green Bay. I didn't even realize that. He was in Green Bay in 2016. Defensive quality control coach. We had him, man. He was right here under our nose. And then the fifth best defense is the Patriots, and they just they don't even have coaches. They just got guys that stand around and do stuff. I don't even know. They got the weirdest structure in the world. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a common thing. Usually from my 
experience looking at coaches and, and their tracks of getting into things. It's you spend about seven, eight years working your way up in the college ranks. Then you finally get a job as a low-level NFL guy, and then you work your way up, and maybe in 10 to 15 years you can get that defensive coordinator job. And then if you're lucky, in another two, three, four, five years, you can get a, a head coaching job when you're 70 years old. Being a 30-some-odd guy that's a defensive coordinator to become a defensive coordinator in the NFL, you know, I, I maybe it's, and it's not to say that he couldn't do the job. It's just a path that I'm not super familiar with. I'm sure somebody's done it. I couldn't, I couldn't point you to one. I don't know. And even if I could, it wouldn't really mean much because whether or not he was successful would have nothing to do with what Jim Leonard could do. Um, I, I think you just need to have criteria. Our defensive coordinator needs to have this, 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 and this. And then you find the person that fits those those criteria and not worry too much about, well, it's hard to go from college to the pros or any of that kind of stuff. Acknowledging the issues that may arise, but I mean that should be part of your criteria, like your your abilities in the locker room. And not just looking at, well, the the kids in college liked them. I mean, it, it's it's an attitude, it's an energy, it's a, you know, when you sit down and talk to him, what kind of a guy is he? Would that translate in my locker room? I mean, whether or not you've worked with pro guys, it's it's somewhat irrelevant. I mean, again, Joe Barry is a was a popular guy. For some reason, our guys didn't like him. Maybe maybe they liked him at first, and then when things don't work, that's the other thing. If the scheme doesn't work, they're not going to like you. <laughs> so, I don't know. Can you be a guy that can convince the locker room to fight for you? Can you be a guy to put our guys in the best position to win? Those are the biggest things. But there's also your ability to, you know, game plan. We have a garbage plan going in. That's a problem. Um, adaptability. So there's there's other smaller things. But those are the two main things. And, and you go through and you look at it and you just you meet with them and you say, is this the guy or not? That's it. Just that easy. Hey, Ryan. Hey. It's Joe. Janitor. Hey, Joe. Beautiful Tuesday morning, Connecticut. Cold. Anyway, I was thinking, um, if uh, Jordan Love forces a trade, this is, could, be, could be pretty crazy, right? You, you. I, I was thinking that as much as I love Rodgers, if, if you trade Jordan Love, to keep Rodgers for a couple of years and Love turns out to be a superstar, then that would that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen. Um, I'd honestly rather let Rodgers go play two, three, four more years somewhere else and say we at least gave Love a chance because um, you couldn't imagine him ending up on let's say, uh, 49ers or even the Vikings. Well, that's just my early morning uh, thought. It's definitely something that gets GM fired, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it's At this point, that probably is my biggest fear. And I, you know... I don't want to keep going round and round with this Rodgers love thing. I understand the Packers have committed to Rodgers, but I mean, you're you're playing a dangerous game. And, and again, I said the same thing, not on the podcast because I didn't have one, but I said the same thing back when Rodgers was our backup and he started to show promise in year three as a backup coming into games and all of a sudden it's like, dang, this dude can play, right? It started in the preseason, he looked good. 
then when he came in in like December in the regular season for a, an injured Favre, you know, people were all, oh, this guy's a bum, he's a bust. And I was like, I don't know, dude, he looked pretty good. And he shreds, uh, I think it was Dallas or whoever it was, looking real good. My fear was if we keep doing this dance with Roger, uh, with Favre, we're going to lose Rodgers. Now, I don't think Love is a superstar just based on the fact that it's really unlikely. That's just from a mathematical standpoint or a probability standpoint. It has nothing to do with his play on the field or anything. But that doesn't matter. There's not very much I'm willing to risk for a guy that could retire in like two months. I mean, how much are you willing to risk for a guy that could just leave at any minute? And the odds that he's going to be here in 2024 are really low, in my opinion. I'm, I'm, I'm like 55, 45 that even comes back this next year. Why would you, why would you risk it? And, and that's the thing. Now, I've, I'm seeing that everywhere. That's the big talking point is Jordan Love is going to force a trade. And, and there's some fear, too. If you think about it from the standpoint of whether you should play Love or not, if Love comes in and plays really well and proves that he can really play football, Love holds a lot of power. And if the Packers don't commit to Love, Love is very likely, I shouldn't say very likely, but very possibly going to say, I'm not going to sit here and be the backup to the guy that's wavering and just sitting there going, I don't know, right, doing the far thing. I'm not doing it. I am a quarterback. I'm ready to play right now. I'm ready to start making money, winning football games, doing that whole thing. I'm sorry, I'm not going to just sit here and be a backup forever. Why wouldn't he? If he plays the last two games and absolutely shreds those opponents, what is it? The I think it might be Vikings-Lions. I don't remember. But if he comes in, win, lose, or draw, if he just looks like an incredible quarterback, why in the world would he just sit there? Why would he do that? And that's the thing. If, if, if the Green Bay Packers commit to Rodgers, which they essentially already have, Jordan Love has no choice but to sit there for potentially three years. And that's, that's at the whim of Rodgers. Whether or not Jordan Love has a career in the NFL is dependent on how Rodgers feels in the moment, whether or not he feels like playing or he feels like getting out of here. Why would you sit and do that? Love you, Rodgers. Love you, LaFleur. Thanks for drafting me, Goot. But you don't... Be- and that's the thing. We're always talking, well, the, the Packers need to prove that they actually believe in Rodgers. They need to prove that they believe in love. But you can only commit to one. And they have committed to, to Aaron Rodgers, which I think is stupid. You, you're not getting more than three years out of the guy. Maximum. This might be his last year. But if he comes back, it's, why wouldn't Jordan Love just say, you know what, I'm done with it. I'm over it. I'd, I'd, I would like to, a, a trade, please. I'm not going to play for, for you. And I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to win for somebody. And if he's even marginally good, if he is a starting quarterback in the NFL, we screwed ourselves big time. If he can be Geno Smith, I mean, Brock Purdy. I mean, look at, look at all, I said this before, look at all these subpar quarterbacks that are just kind of tearing it up right now. Geno's not an elite quarterback. Baker, I mean, Baker, the, the thing with Baker's stupid. Everyone's like, oh, Baker's a piece of trash. I can't believe he actually played well. Baker was a good quarterback for the Browns. He was not a guard. He was garbage in Carolina for a half a year for whatever reason. But people are shocked that he's a competent quarterback. Dude, he's always been that in Cleveland. I don't know what you're talking about. He's not a superstar, but he's a top 16 quarterback. 
But he's looking good with the Rams, and pretty much any quarterback that plays for the 49ers, with the exception of Trey Lance, is going to be pretty good. If we drafted the guy at the most important position in all of football, the guy that can command the offense, that can win games, that can take us to the, to the playoffs, that can execute the offense with efficiency, and we give him away because we committed to Rodgers for maybe a year, that is the absolute dumbest thing that a GM could possibly do. The only reason you would do that is if you know he's not the guy. And maybe that's the case. Maybe they've assessed he's just not the dude. And so that's why they were so desperate to keep Aaron Rodgers, because Jordan Love is not going to be the guy. He can stay as the backup for a while until we figure out what's going on. But yeah, I, I, I don't think this is going to be a thing where if Rodgers continues to stay, that Jordan Love will just be the guy in two, three years. No, he'll be gone by then. And then we are quarterbackless. So I don't know, man. It's just... It just makes me nervous, I guess. But who knows? Who knows what the future holds? You never know. Never know. Lots of lots of possibilities sitting out when there. When I was a kid, <laughs> I played a lot of video games. Yes. A franchise Same. that constantly kept me invested was a little uh, game series called Madden. Heard of it. And a lot of times I would play that game, trait myself. Oh, same, for sure. To the best of my ability. 99s across uh, the board. Still haven't been able to perfect it, but that's just because the game doesn't offer a whole lot of customizations. It's done a lot better recently. Anyway, and not only would I make myself, but I would also make other players with just ridiculous names. See, I, and I, I forgot about this, I would create a football team with like all my friends and family and stuff on there so be like me and then like the right tackle would be grandpa reuben (laughs) running back would be john you know i miss that that was fun that was fun and then i grew up you know watching the tv show and the thing pops up key and peel and they do a little skit called the east west bowl Oh, yeah. And in there, they really tickled my child spot in my heart. Or they came up with ridiculous names. Oh, yeah, that's true. For to be fair, team. the NFL does have quite a few of them in themselves. Mm-hmm. So the question I'm going to ask you is, create a fun name on the spot for a player in the sense of Key and Peele. In the spirit of young Thomas. All right, fine. You want me to make up a fake football name on the spot? Um, I hate to not have an answer for such a detailed question, um, but I don't know. And I feel like if I try, I'm going to get in trouble. Because... <laughs> Key and Peel can kind of get away with some stuff that I can't, you know, stereotyping and whatnot. So I'm just going to leave you with that little anecdote about Grandpa Ruben playing right tackle, and we're just going to keep her trucking. Hey, Ryan, it's Andy again. Hey. A few Christmas movies that I haven't heard mentioned on the uh, After Dark. Um, Muppets Christmas Carol. I never really got into the Muppets. You know what I'm realizing? I don't. I have not seen a lot of Christmas movies. 
there's a lot of like basic, everybody sees it every year Christmas movies. And I'm like, mm, might have seen it once. I don't know. I just, uh, like I remember seeing Miracle on 34th Street like once. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of classics that I maybe have seen, but um, maybe Muppets Christmas Carol once and it would have been my cousin that was watching it because she was into the Muppets, but that's about the only thing I can think of with that. Um, and before that, Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. Patton. Both very, very good. I haven't seen that either. Um, and then Charlie Brown Christmas. That's, that's a great one. I know it's... See, that's, again, another classic that... Uh... I'm not sure I've seen it. I I I feel like I watched Charlie Brown. It's one of those really, really early memories that you're not sure about. So it's probably like four or five years old. I kind of remember something about Charlie Brown, but not much. Um, I feel like un-American because I feel like everybody knows everything about Charlie Brown. It's like, I don't know, dude. Something about a dude with a zigzaggy shirt, another guy with a blanket. Something about a football. I don't know. Don't really recall. Short. It's not really a full-length movie, but um, that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, just the movies in general. Got a chance to show our youngest the movie Big. Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks. I uh, I made that mistake also. I, I got into this mode where I was like, kids, I'm going to show you all the great movies. And I I showed them Short Circuit, and my wife yelled at me. Because, again, 80s, like, PG or whatever, basically is PG-16. Because <laughs> it's it's all kinds of stuff. She's, she's constantly like, all right, I'll fast forward. I didn't know that was coming, whatever. And then I went and did Big. I did the same thing. Turned on Big. Big mistake is what that was. Can't be showing little kids Big because there's some suggestive stuff in there and whatnot. But uh, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I really like that one. Great taste of the 80s there. Uh, and some some non-Christmas movies maybe to look at over the break. I really like um, Stranger Than Fiction, which is, I think, Will Ferrell's probably his best movie. It's a lot like The Truman Show in that funny things are happening around him, but he himself is not particularly funny. So if you get a chance, check out Stranger Than Fiction. That. Very unique. Uh, the John Mechanical Man, uh, starring uh, Jenna Fisher. Great romantic comedy. Uh, that one would be very enjoyable, I I've think, for, seen for it. a large audience. Or just you. I can't tell if I've just never seen a lot of really good movies or if we just have very different tastes in movies, because I don't even know what these are. My wife want to look at a good romantic comedy. That's always there for you. Um Television show that's just kind of relaxed and interesting. I know I've mentioned it before, I'm sure. Uh, Detectorists. Um, it's about hobbyists who use metal detectors. Mm. Uh, it's a British show, so that's got that angle to it and that flavor to it. So that's been very, very good. Um, and then anything by Wes Anderson. If you want to have something that's funny and the kids would like and you can actually show it to them, Fantastic Mr. Fox which is an adaptation of a Roald Dahl book. I think I've mentioned this again before, but just some things to think about. Um, and then, of course, the television show Psych. They have a lot of – it's a comedy show, but um, one of the main stars he likes to – Whoops-a-doozy. <laughs> I don't know what I did there. Just accidentally refreshed the page. Um, 
I don't know Wes Anderson. I know Wes Craven. Um, and yeah, I know, um, I know Psych has been mentioned maybe by you in the past. I, I think I gave it a shot because it's kind of monkish. Um, I, I could try to give it another shot. I don't think I cared for it, but I could try it again. Appreciate the suggestions, Andy. Hey, Ryan, it's Jimmy. Hey. Um, hey, I wanted to thank you for doing that deep dive into the Packers offensive uh, analysis. I, I just was, I haven't even quite finished it yet, but I had to pause it and call just to say that was really cool. Like, it was cool to hear, and I, you know, the game was pretty fresh in my mind. So I can remember a lot of these things, kind of. But to hear you describing how open certain people were and whatnot, and I don't take it as a negative on Rogers necessarily. I'm thinking more that it's like highlighting the strength of the LaFleur system. Does that. Um, which kind of gets me to thinking like about the ultimate question of what's going to happen with Love and Rogers. And, I don't know if it's realistic, and I guess this is what I'm kind of wondering. Like, can we pull off a trade of Rodgers? Like, I feel like it's the only option, man. You know, like, I I, I love what the guy's done for us, um, but, you know, there's a real finite amount of time left for maybe something with him. And as you're pointing out, there's a lot of things he's leaving on the field. And, you know, we've only seen a little bit of love, just like we've only seen a little bit of Rodgers at this point in his career. But it seems like there's a good possibility that he would be less tunnel-visioned and more system-oriented. doesn't seem like a huge leap. So my question is, can we trade Rodgers? If I could choose where and what, I like the idea of trading him to San Francisco, sending yeah. him home, letting him leave this Purdy guy, you know, for a year or two and, and, and letting Purdy learn under him and whatnot. And we get Garoppolo, right? Who's injured right now, but he's a savvy veteran to back up love. And I don't know what else we need. And I don't know how they work out the salary because whatever. I'm a fan. I don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. But I'm asking you because you're a fanalist. So uh, what do you think? Are any of those things realistic? Uh, hang up and listen. Bye-bye. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, only, um, the only scenario that I've been able to think of that made sense that Rodgers, because it all comes down to Rodgers agreeing. If Rodgers doesn't want to go, he's not going. Um, I, I do wonder about San Francisco. I know he, wants, he said he wants to retire a Packer. I get all that, but... If he wants to play and the Packers make it clear that they're not super interested in continuing with Rodgers, uh, they're, they're going through a rebuild, they plan on moving on with Love. Granted, Rodgers can be like, well, tough, I'm staying. That's an option, but he, he may not want to. So if the Packers make it clear they want to sort of do a little rebuild and take a couple years to reboot, year or two, he doesn't want to do that, but he wants to keep playing, he may be interested in a trade. I do think San Francisco makes sense. Well, they got Brock Purdy and they drafted Trey Lance. Trey Lance sucks. Brock Purdy, I don't think I don't think they would turn down a short-term deal with Rodgers for that because I do think San Francisco's good enough where if they can get a, a quarterback like Rodgers, they feel like they could have a legitimate chance. I mean, the fact that they were so much better with Jimmy Garoppolo than without 
shows just having some kind of a competent quarterback um, pays massive dividends. And obviously Rodgers would be the best quarterback they've had there in who knows how long. So I think that's possible. I've seen some estimates of what we would ask for in a trade, and I think they're wildly overestimated. I don't, I don't think somebody takes on that contract knowing that it's likely a one-year, maybe like a two-year deal and is going to give up like multiple firsts or anything. I, 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 uh, how much, how much is an expensive Rogers for one year worth? One year, because that's all you're really guaranteed. Because he may retire at any time. Um, I don't think it's going to be all that much. So, but yeah, I, I there there aren't a ton of scenarios that I think he would like. I don't think he really wants to reinvent himself. I think he's got a thing here, and if it's not here, then he's just going to retire. That's my assumption. But there there might be a part of him similar to Devonte wanting to go play for his hometown team. Um, otherwise, I just don't think there's a team that he'd want to play for. Um. I mean, New England does have Bill Belichick, which could be cool, but I don't, does he want to go out to Boston? I don't know. Um, I just I don't know where else he would go. Uh, Dallas gets rid of Dak. He can go back and be with McCarthy <laughs> in, in Dallas, but I don't think he wants to play for Dallas. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where else he would go. So that would be the one. Uh, th- there were the rumors of him building a house in, in Tennessee. Maybe if that's the case and, and he feels like it, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe he'd want to be the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans or something. But I do think overall a, a trade is a pretty low probability thing. I think most likely he'll come back. Second most likely is he'll retire. Um, and then third would be working out some kind of a trade. But we shall see. We'll see uh, how all that stuff goes. Anyways, uh, why don't we take a quick break, and then we will come back to this whole shenanigans and get this thing rocking. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can uh, donate if you'd like to do that uh, to the podcast. Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry at FertileGroundRanch.org. Otherwise, we will take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones 
by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Packernet Podcast. We're going to get this thing rocking and rolling with our next caller, and the next caller is Aaron. Hey, Ryan. Aaron here. Hey. I literally just started listening to yesterday's Packernet After Dark, and um, the, I can't remember his name, but he was answering Tom's question about where would he live, and he answered Antarctica. Yeah. And that was my initial thought, too. And then my the same reservations that you had are the same ones that I had. So... I was like, that sounds great, but let's go to the North Pole. Right. North Pole is amazing. Um, it, it, they've got everything you could ever want, like just like Antarctica. Yeah, everything um, that the Antarctica has. But if there's one thing on the in, in, in the Arctic Circle and North Pole that the Antarctica doesn't have, what is that, you ask? Santa. Right. Yeah, if you walk around enough, you're going to find a man who is very, very big around. Easy to find. Um, Bright red suit. And how did he get that? Probably by eating all the brisket in the world, dude. Ryan. Dude. You can get brisket at the North Pole. That dude just but then beyond sucks that, down what tallow. What does have? Elves. Yep. And they are, they are the happiest people in the world. That's true. And they... Probably have cable. All they do is just make stuff for us. Right. And... Give it as gifts. Yep. And so they can literally make anything that you could ever dream of having. So the North Pole would be incredible because they, I don't, I don't think there's a sovereign state up there. As parts there are, but at the North Pole. Dude, they could build me a smoker. Think about that. Like a massive one. Just, I mean, most of the meat would go to waste probably because I'm not letting the elves eat my meat. Get out of here. But uh, me and Santa would just crush we would crush self i don't believe there are so i don't know who you'd have to pay taxes to but i don't think santa i mean heck santa could hmm, maybe santa does charge taxes might be rent because how else does he get all the product to make all this stuff yeah Hmm, i don't know but that's something that you can find out after the fact but they do in fact have everything that you can ever ask for up there and at the North Pole. Santa's probably subsidized. Um, I'm guessing all the countries in the world gather together. And by all the countries, I mean the United States probably pays about 80% and everybody else kind of pays, but mostly just expects the United States to take care of it like everything else. So, uh, yeah, that's pro- it's probably subsidies. 
Um, so if I had to live anywhere for a year and go by the same rules that we are basing everything else off, the North Pole is where the heck it's at. Yeah, for sure. Leave that heck out, Ryan. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, just uh, I don't. Bye. Sorry if it gets loud here in a second. The 49ers game is on, and it's going to start playing here in a minute. Um, no, I'm I'm all in, man. I mean, I, I we got to find Santa, and he's, he's obviously hiding. I know um, if you watch Elf, there's like a pole, like an actual North Pole, and then you got to, I think, oh, no, I think there's a keypad. Could be kind of tough. We got to figure out the, the, well, if you watch Elf, I'm sure you could find out what the the keypad is there it is took forever for that to load all right mute that right quick there we go right sure good to go all right what are we talking about oh yeah north pole no i'm down man i think that sounds good and you're right we have the elves do whatever you got to get in good with santa because if he's like why are you here it's a long cold walk back to wisconsin um so I'm gonna weigh in on this whole uh, Star Wars uh, thing that we got going on here. Okay. Mm, and I would say that probably if anybody does watch Star Wars as an adult, they probably wouldn't like it because their wonderment and imagination, creativity, just happiness is gone. <laughs> it's dead. So when people who go watch Star Wars, so Star Wars is for children. All right, I understand. Wars as a child. And it's that nice little warm feeling that you get. I do understand that. I mean, there are movies that are stupid that I watched as a kid that it's got a nostalgia factor and that magic that, you know, like, um, the heck is that movie that I was obsessed with? Oh, Labyrinth. I would guess, could be wrong, I would guess if an adult watched Labyrinth for the first time, it might be kind of stupid. Maybe not. I don't know. But... It was kind of a magical thing. I mean, the the whole thing is very magical, but when you're a kid, it's really just kind of illuminates everything, and it makes it even more like, oh, man, that's amazing. That's so cool. Like, you can walk through a wall and stuff. Um, and I wanted to be David Bowie. I would choose to wear different pants. That freaked me out even as a kid. Like, what's going on here? Um, but, yeah, I, I, I different pants and all, I would like to be David Bowie. And... Um, he does have some swag, man. He's pretty pretty cool. He sings a little bit, uh, which is weird, and I probably wouldn't. Ah, it's not true. I sing. Just not as well. Uh, but yeah, definitely different pants. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying, for sure. I get it. I can't click on uh, this thing to continue because it wants me to play uh, video games. I can't do that right now. You need to move. Thank you very much. In your heart. Because it encapsulates so much of just that, like I said, childhood wonder. Yeah. So when you go in through the lens of an old, cynical, uh, negative Nancy type person... See, you're, you're, you're trying to make it sound negative, but in reality, what you're conceding is that it's not just a good movie. It's something that when you're a kid, if you watch it when you're young, there's sort of a magical wonderment factor... But really good movies, and you can be cynical about it if you want, but if there's a good movie from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, whatever, and you are you can be 10 years old, 20, 30, 50, 70, a good movie is a good movie. 
And so I'm sorry, but I have a hard time believing that you can put Star Wars up in the upper echelon when even Star Wars people will concede, if you didn't watch it in the first 10 years of your life, you probably will think it sucks. It's hard to put that into the realm of some of the greatest movies or franchise, this, that, or the other in history, when that's the caveat. By the way, you have to have watched it by age seven, or you're going to think it's really lame. Yeah, you're probably not going to like it. Yeah, it's probably dumb. I mean, <clears throat> the first one is your typical fantasy movie, just set in space. The second one, which isn't an exact copy of the first one. Not exact. There's snow. I.e., the good guys lose. There's not a big floaty thing in the sky that they're trying to destroy. Oh, there is. Yeah, someone is, quote-unquote, kidnapped. But this time, instead of it being, we're going to rescue prisoners, it's a trap made for the hero. Hmm. Wow. And then the third one... Exhilarating. The third one's pretty much the first one, but okay. larger. I got it. No, I get it. Yeah. Bigger Is that scale. the snow one then? The third one, or was it? I don't. I, I don't but know. That's my that's my thing for it. If yeah. you watch Star Wars, is not made for grown adults to watch the first time. Yeah. It is a kids movie. It is yeah. a kids. There you go. Series. Yeah. No, that I totally get that. I, that's just a plain. I would bet if I showed my son, he'd probably think it's pretty dope. For sure. In fact, so of course, adults, some adults will like it, but nowadays, if you go watch the original for the first time and you're 30, yeah, probably not. Yep. And that's just because there's a bunch of different other things out there that you probably enjoy and or better. We'll compare it to, and it just wouldn't be a fair comparison. Better. Just say better. But Star Wars is an expansive universe. Well, so many stories literally. told through books, comics, the movies, TV shows, games expand on stuff. Ah, you, you gotta have, you gotta have that that kid-like nature in you mm-hmm. to enjoy it. Which might be a knock on it, might not. It is. All right, bye. All right, bye. Uh, yeah, no, I. Again, I don't even think Star Wars people generally would disagree with any of this i think they just get angry when you say it's not good because they love it which is fine you can be defensive of a thing that you love and you know whatever um but again if we're just kind of being rational about it if we're all in agreement that it's a kid's movie and um you know again if you didn't really watch it by the age of let's let's call it 10 then you're probably going to think it's stupid. Man, the 49ers are so good. Kittle touchdown. That was a triple reverse. Not a reverse. Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. You saw it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think we're all on the same page. I, I, it's a contentious thing. Star Wars people are hardcore, and they don't like hearing that it's not good. But we all agree on everything. <laughs> it's... it's uh, Either you got in young, or, you know, if you were around when it first came out, and you like it, or you didn't and you don't. And I also think there's broad agreement that the early ones are better and the newer ones, despite the better graphics, uh, suck. They just do. 
So anyways, mm, let's do another Tom one because we have so much Tom. I've been trying to alternate, but we have 50 Tom calls and two non-Tom calls. So Tom it is. What happened to the uh, Packers stock market game? Ooh, I forgot about that. Uh, let me tell you, I had a blast when we did that. Yeah, that was fun. Wish I could make a comeback. Would love to see it again. If I can get other people to support this movement to bring it back, you should bring it back. Says a bot. Bye. Was that uh, Mr. Numberman that ran that? I I, I know that uh, I was doing it for a while, and I got to the point where it's like I just I, it's too much work, and he was better with the that stuff anyways, and he um said he would do it. And he did it, and that's how that went down. But I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do it. But if anybody listening knows what Tom is talking about and is like, I'll take it over, um, I can get you the grades. I can get you the grades. Uh, Essentially what we had was it was a stock market game where everybody starts off with like $100. And then you can put in, you can essentially invest that money into players that you think are going to have a good day or a good game. Um, and based on how they performed in that game, you would either gain or lose money. And it's all fake money. It doesn't really mean anything. Uh, if you want to do real money, that's fine. I'll be the house. I'll take all your money. It doesn't matter. But uh, the plan is to not do that. So the invitation is out there. I will uh, assist, and I will also play because that was fun. But if not, then not. Tom, if you want to do it, if you can, if you know how, um, I will, I'll work with you, and we can get it set up. On the second day of pack, Miss Judy gave to me two wonderful halfbacks and one potential superstar rookie. <laughs> Who are you even talking about? Oh, Watson? Yeah, dude. For sure. Hey, Pat Daddy. It's Nate. Hey, what's um, up? Wanted to call in to uh, give my re- rebuttal um, to, to you objecting Uh-oh. to Die Hard again. Um, yeah, it is. It's definitely subjective. I mean, I know a lot of people aren't going to believe that it's a a Christmas movie. That's fine. Um, I was just overreacting. I'm listen, I'm not even saying it's not a Christmas movie. I just want somebody to tell me that what is the definition of a Christmas movie? If you can give me that criteria, the only thing that I'm saying with Die Hard, the complication I have with Die Hard is any objective line that you try to draw. Man, that that safety from the 49ers is ridiculous. Any objective line that you try to draw so that Die Hard ends up in the category of Christmas movie, you're going to have a lot of movies that most people that are big Die Hard as a Christmas movie people will look at and go, well, no, Hafunga, that's the guy's name. Where the heck did this guy come from? Um, Again, like The Ref. It's not a Christmas movie. You know, there are movies that take place around Christmas. And um, I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe they're all Christmas movies. It does have kind of a Christmassy feel to it. And it's got kind of a Christmassy message to it in terms of, you know, um, and I don't know, being good, being nice. You get into the Christmas spirit and you don't end up killing people. That is such a good movie. That was one of those movies that was always on back in the day when you had cable and, You'd have like HBO and they would just play certain movies on a loop. And for a while, like The Ref was one of them. And I watched that probably 20 times. That's a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, Dennis Leary, 
It was just a, I mean, he basically plays himself in that movie, which is great. Just an angry, uh, you know, whatever person. Um, I was just overreacting for, for comedy, but, um, in reality, I, I do think it's a Christmas movie. Uh, I mean, the whole premise is him going to see his family for Christmas. The, the whole events of him going, um, to Nakatomi Plaza and all that stuff is really, if we're getting technical, more of a, a side quest than anything. Um, his actual, the whole point of the movie was him going to rekindle things with his wife and, uh, see his daughter for Christmas again. Um, sorry for the sniffling. I'm starting to get a little sick, but, uh, yeah. So I, I still, I think your question. I keep about pausing the wrong freaking one. Let me ask you a question. If the movie was um, Bruce Willis, John McClane, I think is his name, was on his way to a barbecue for the 4th of July when all this stuff happened, would that movie be about America's independence? Or would that just be like a random tidbit that gets us to the point of what we want to get, which is shooting and explosions and all that kind of stuff? I don't think that that's like a, a, a patriotic movie at that point. They were having a party for Labor Day. It's not like a pro-communism thing, right? Ha! <laughs> Jokes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, I just think it's it's just a th- it's It's Christmas. So obviously a lot of things revolve around it being Christmas. You can't say it's Christmas, but also that has no impact on the movie whatsoever. Like, aren't you going to be with your... Fit? Like, no. Why? It's Christmas. Well, I don't know, because this movie's unrealistic and stupid. It's just a vessel to get us where we're going. It just explains certain things. What is he doing? Where is he going? Well, it's Christmas, so he's going to be with his family, but he's got this whole thing. All right, cool. It's just my thought on it. The soundtrack, it is not just music playing at, um, at like the Christmas party. It is actually part of the musical score for the movie itself. And that does make it more Christmassy. But again, I read off, I don't know how many different movies that have that that are I mean, that one just needs to be scrapped from the argument list because there are like horror movies and every other kind of nonsense that have musical numbers in them. So I think we just need to let that one, let that argument die. Um, I think in the original, I think in the original call, I actually said that the ending sound or the ending song that they play when the credits start rolling is uh, uh, Let It Snow. Yeah, I think it's Let It Snow. Uh, there's there's that one's in there actually twice. But uh, And then the other thing is, yes, you should definitely watch uh, the Die Hard movies. The first two, as I said, were Christmas movies. The second one's actually probably more of a Christmas movie than the first one, if we're being honest, because it checks off the, the box that I know a lot of people call for when they're talking about Christmas movies, which is having snow. Uh, the second one does have snow. Oh, I think that's really stupid because people include Harry Potter. Uh, with those, and no, Harry Potter's not a Christmas movie. One of the Harry Potters is a Christmas movie. Um, and yeah, and then yeah, make sure you do a watch through. You can skip the last one. The last one's not, uh, but the first four, uh, are definitely worth a watch. First All one's right. the best one, but the yeah. two, three, and four are definitely worth a watch. They're some of the best action movies that you can find. Go back, go. Yeah, I will say, I've, I think I've seen three, and I've never seen a bad, I've never seen a bad Die Hard movie. So, um, Real solid. I'm I'm worried that. Uh, wait, wait. Did you say skip? You said skip five, right? So I can watch four. Should just do a watch through though. That's that's probably the best way to do it. Good call, man. Good call. All right, let's get uh, one more Tom call in, and then we'll get out of here. 
So, I believe some of us caught the Texans game on Sunday. I didn't, but I saw highlights. And Amari Rogers getting a touchdown, not fumbling it. Good. I, for the most part, when people like that don't work out, I want to see them succeed, whether it is Unless, okay, okay. I want to see them succeed. Unless they're, you know, with the Vikings, the Lions, except for Jamal. I can't, I can't knock Jamal. Bears, the Patriots, the Cowboys. I, I, I don't want to see any of the, them succeed in the NFC West. But he's on the Texans, and I hope that he's happy there. I hope that they utilize him because the Packers didn't utilize him properly. And it got me thinking, <clears throat> what is the ceiling for uh, Torre? We've seen what Dobbs can do. We've seen Watson. They both have shined. They've both been given plenty of opportunities, but Torre hasn't. Uh, and that could be because, well, you have those two guys, Cobb, Lazard, Watkins uh, in front of you, so it's a little hard to be thrust out there, but with the injuries and everything, I don't know. I just I don't know why they're not using him at all. Uh, can I get how many plays that he's been a part of this season? Mm-hmm. I guess would be a question of mine. And then, like I said, what is the ceiling for him? All right, bye. Torrey, by the way. Just to clear that, yep. clarify that. No, that's good. I I need that because I forget. Um, well, first of all, I don't want to set too high of expectations for a seventh round pick, and I think he was what our fourth seventh round pick. Um, I have zero expectation. The fact that he's been on the field at all is a testament to his ability, even with the injuries and everything else. Um, you know, he he doesn't have to be out there. There are other options. You know, again, look at Sean Ryan. We've had a lot of uh, injuries on the offensive line. He hasn't taken a snap. They found other guys to do it. So um, as far as the ceiling, I, I don't know. But let's just say Christian and um, uh, Romeo Dobbs end up being a really good duo. Having him as a number three, what What if, and I know this isn't going to sound anything super exciting, but the one name that came to mind, what if he is kind of a Geronimo Allison? Uh, you could even say Alan Lazard, even though it's a very different body type or whatever, but just a, a decent guy that you can go to in certain situations. Definitely not a number one, probably not even necessarily a number two, but still a guy that you're happy to have out there. But anyways, to your question about uh, how much he's been out there, let's look at how many routes have been run. Uh, we'll just go in order. Number one is Lazard, 365. Tunyon, 285. Aaron Jones, 261. Then Romeo Dobbs, 253. Then A.J. Dillon, 194. By the way, how incredible is it that I haven't said Christian Watson yet? Uh, A.J. Dillon, 194. Then Randall Cobb, 180. Christian Watson, 174. Sammy, 158. Mercedes Lewis, 84. Josiah DeGuara, 75. Samori Ture, 70. That's in seven games, though. Uh, which is less than anybody else on this list. Uh, for example, Samori Ture, 70 routes run, Josiah DeGuara, 75, but DeGuara has played in 13 games as opposed to Samori Ture's seven. Um, 
In terms of receiving grades, though, just to be clear, uh, again, PFF is not the be-all, end-all, but from their perspective, he has the third lowest receiving grade ahead of only A.J. Dillon and Mercedes Lewis. Um, Tyler Davis is higher. Jawan Winfrey is higher. Amari Rogers was higher. Then Tunyon, then Romeo Dobbs, uh, Sammy Watkins. We're only at 61, by the way. Then Josiah DeGuara, the guy that should be playing a lot more. Then Aaron Jones, then Christian Watson, then Alan Lazard, then Randall Cobb, as far as receiving grades go. I know Christian should be higher. I know I get it. Just saying. I like Samori Ture. Excited to see uh, the trio out there for sure, but I just I don't want to set expectations too high. The guy was a late, 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 late seventh-round pick. I think he's already contributed more than I expected in his career this year. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one, and bye-bye.